Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. So, uh, yeah, this morning is really rich in, like, tabernacle temple talk, um, which is really interesting. It's really cool um, stuff. And uh, he says, I'm going to talk about this briefly because you basically already know what we're talking about. Well, maybe we don't. Uh, remember, this was written to believers with a historically Jewish context. And so we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about some of these things and the beauty of the imagery and the symbolism that was found in the tabernacle, in the, in the, the whole tent of meeting, the whole deal. So uh, yeah, verse one, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances, ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, old and new covenant this is the theme that we, was, we were addressing again last week, and we ended off with how much greater the new is than the old. It's, make, it's, it's making the old obsolete because of the new. Um, and so, uh, but there is merit to the old serving in its earthly terms for its earthly time. There was merit to this. There was a reason for this. There was a purpose to this. And so when we're looking back at this, it's important not to think it's nothing. It's not nothing. There's something to it in its time, but it was, it was nothing in comparison to what was coming. And it was absolutely nothing to return to after the new has been revealed. And so it's important to understand this is the earthly sanctuary, and we're talking about a temple or an, a sanctuary not made with hands, and so there's a difference here. This is, this is a earthly, fleshly, uh, it's tied to the flesh. But the new covenant is through Christ, and now it's, it's, it's apart from the flesh. It's of the spirit. Not apart from the flesh, like all flesh is evil. That was uh, the belief of the Gnostics. And it's actually made its way back around in the church many times. Everything of the flesh is evil. Anything that you enjoy in the flesh is evil. We should all become so stoic and, and not doing anything ever. And, and if you find joy in it, then it's probably sinful. It's horrible. That's not, that's not the point. That's, God created us to enjoy the great things. And, and the things that we think are enjoyable that are sinful are distortions of good things. They might have like a piece of a good thing, but it's a distortion of the real thing. And so we don't, you know, there's that separation there. Uh, verse two, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So um, the tabernacle had the outer courtyard. There was, uh, do we have a picture? I think I have a picture. Is it on there? Do you guys see it? job, guys. You guys are amazing. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> They're like, yes. All right. So we got the outer, this is the outer courtyard, okay? So as you can see, uh, white linen, this is the holiness, this is the purity. Um, and the outer courts is where as far as normal people could go. Uh, and it was a, a 150 feet long by 45 feet wide. And this was, they would take this with them and set it up wherever. Like this is, this is the tabernacle, right? There eventually would be the temple and the temple was much more ornate, but they're, they're both uh, serve in a similar fashion, right? David's like, how come there's tents? We need a, a temple. And God's like, 
cool, we do need a temple, but David, you've just killed way too many people. Let's have Solomon do it. Why? Because there is an issue with uh, sin and death. That's really the issue, sin and death, and God being the giver of life. That's partially why we see the separation where you can't eat of the tree of life after you've eaten of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Life and death, there's, a, there's an issue there. And that's why God being the giver of life and us in sin representing death, they don't work together. In fact, the life is so powerful, it overwhelms the death and it destroys it in its presence. This is the idea of light and darkness, right? Darkness, you don't go, I got this new darkness, light, like flashlight, a new dark, uh, flash darkness, you know? I bring it into the room and I shoot out a ray of darkness. No, what is darkness? It's an absence of light. Death is an absence of life. And so that's the real issue we're dealing with. And so all the stuff that is going on is, is God, high and exalted, perfect, pure, whole life. And it, it kind of helps us, right? Because we hear terms like holy and pure and we go, these are things I can never be. I just know I can never be those things. Yeah, but all of us are willing, or most of us, are willing to eat vegetables and to jog, you know. Why would you do that? You know, that's the worst part of sports is that part, you know. Why? Because we, we believe it's going to add life to us. And indeed it does, or it can. Not always, but. And initially, you think it's adding death. And, and um, you know, there's some truth to that initially, I guess, too. But in the process, there's like this, this life. And so this is the separation. So they've got the outer courts. And uh, as you come up into the outer courts, this, there's, uh, you know, remember 150 by 45. Uh, you're going to find uh, that there's the altar and the altar is where, you, you know, you'd go before, you could put your hand on the animal, and this is the sin offerings, and, and your sins are, like, transferred over through this animal. And, and so you could be in this part, there's the bronze laver, where you, there, there would be ceremonial washings that would be taking place. Uh, as you got inside, now there's, like, the sanctuary or the inner tabernacle, you could say, is uh, 45 feet if you go back, can you go back to that picture real quick? 45 feet by 15. So, and it's 15 feet tall, okay? So that's that one right there. And it's got all kinds of symbolic stuff. There's, there's tapestries, beautiful ornate tapestries, and then there's animal skins and all these things. And inside of there, you can see where the animals are and, the, and then the bronze laver. And inside of there is the holy place. And that is 45 feet like I said, by, uh, by 15 by 15. And inside of that is a 15 by 15 by 15 cube called the Holy of Holies. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. So when he starts off, he says the tabernacle was prepared the first part. So we're talking about the Holy of Holies, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So this is the inner, but not the Holy of Holies, Okay. This is the holy place. And so if you were to go inside of there, only the priests could go in there and they would go in. They would take their turns and they'd go in. Uh, for instance, they had to keep the, the, um, the lamp burning. They had to keep the lampstand full of oil and burning bright. 
So they would make sure that it was constantly uh, ignited and had fuel and, and going, right? And then they had the showbread. And how many, does anybody know how many loaves were on the, on the table? 12, right? 12. And what did the 12 represent? The tribes. Yes. Well done. Yes. And, and the preset would have the 12 tribes, right? Every, all of this is so representative. And now as you would, uh, if you look in numbers, it talks about the way that the lampstand is supposed to be directed. It's facing forward with its light going forward. And as it's doing that, it's illuminating the showbread, the 12 tribes. So the lampstand is offering up and providing like an idea of God's presence, his light, and his provision on his people, both through the bread and through the light. So it's this beautiful picture of God yet again being in the camp and, and his blessing on his people. He wanted his presence and his blessing to be upon his people. Number six says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying this, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. This is how the Lord wanted them to know. This is how you're supposed to bless them. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. you. This sounds familiar, right? They should write a song about this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. This is a representation inside the holy place of what God wants in a relationship with the children of Israel. His face to be shining upon him, his countenance, and with it, his blessing. It's important to understand that, that the whole um, tabernacle or temporal ritual is, is really, in a sense, a altered and a marred, I guess, sense of returning to Eden. The priest is, again, a priest like Adam was, meant to be a priest, uh, and now has this ability to come and be before the Lord again and to have relationship and fellowship yet again. So there's like an element of that returning to that uh, that is important to understand that this is the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. And now we can choose to abide in that and to experience life and blessing and provision, or we can choose to be just like Adam, kicked out. So it's representing the Adam of the old, and then as Romans, Romans tells us, the second Adam as well. So it's looking back to the original Adam as a placeholder, as still finding a way to have presence, God's presence with his people, his face, his light shining. Literally, he led them by light, right? To have, it, have them in the camp, him in the camp, him blessing his people, him fighting the battles for them, and then looking forward to what would be founded finally in Jesus. So again, for the writer of Hebrews, there is, there's nothing to go back to. And he's going to make that even more clear as we move on. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the, of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat 
Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. So we're trying to speak somewhat in detail to this. So we have the holy of holies or the holiest of all. This is the 15 cubic foot space. And uh, behind a veil that was believed to be roughly 36 inches thick, 15 feet tall, 36 inches thick. What, what's significant about the veil? What did Jesus say he was going to do? I'm going to tear down the temple and build it back up. What happened when he, uh, when he died? The veil was torn in two. From which way? Top to the bottom. It's, almost, it's like God was just all like a, do you remember back in the day, uh, this used to be at like churches and events. I don't know. You know, it was like the power team. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And they'd be ripping phone books and stuff, you know? Be like, Jesus changed my life. <sighs> Guys with these jet, just awesome forearms, you know? And they're bending rebar over their head. And you're like, I think I understand what this is about. Either way, I am entertained, you know, greatly. This, but like, you know, you see him rip a phone book in half, you know, ripping a bunch of papers by, I mean, that's, it's wild, but 36, 36 inches thick of fabric, wild, right? And the Jews are like, let's sew it back up, uh, you know. But what was the importance and the significance of the veil? Why is it there? To separate. It was a safety. This is a safety measure for the people. They're, they're meeting with God. Like we have this idea. It's like, you know, I just love to meet with God. It's so good. That's what we should. But the idea of actually being in the presence of God was a terrifying proposition. It was a terrifying proposition. It could mean the end of your life very easily. And it was only to be done in a specific way at a specific time. The priest, this would be the high priest, right? We'll talk about this more in a second and get more into like that whole thing. But the priest would bring in what we have, the censer, this golden censer. And there's some kind of people are kind of hung up on this because uh, every indication is that the altar of incense is in the holy place. But now we have this, the censer, which would have the incense inside the Holy of Holies. I don't see a problem with this at all. Most scholars actually don't because, not to call myself a scholar, okay? Uh, but uh, from what I've read from them <laughs> is because the censer would go in with the priest. And the idea of, of, of the sweet, sweet smelling aroma and it's, and, and it's tied in with like prayers, this is, this is this where they go in with this sweet-smelling aroma. So there's no problem with it being there since it would, in fact, go into there with the embers and, you know, it would make, you know, the smoke. And, and that was a sign of, in a sense, God's presence as they're, as they're also coming and bringing before this sweet-smelling aroma before the Lord. And it's a blessing. So we have the censer of incense. Inside, everything's overlaid with gold. Everything is amazing. Like just, it's so well, perfectly put together. The Ark of the Covenant's kind of the centerpiece, right? And this, would, this, was, this was God's presence as they would go around. They'd, they'd have the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant uh, has the mercy seat on top with the cherubim looking down on that. Inside the Ark are some of the symbols of God's provision and blessing. So what are those things? There's, there's the... Uh, 
First of all, he says the, um, the manna, a golden pot that had the manna. What was the manna representative of? God's provision. As they're in the desert, he's providing them with food. He's feeding them miraculously every day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't stress out about hoarding, hoarding, hoarding up too much for yourself. Eat today. Be filled. Be glad. And just enjoy my provision. It's miraculous. So it's reminding the children of Israel of God's provision, how faithful he's been to them in that sense. What else? We see the, uh, the rod, Aaron's rod that budded, which was a sign that this was his priest, God's priest. So this is setting up the priest, the priesthood. So there's a remembrance of God's provision. There's a symbol of the priesthood that God has set up a priest, that it's really important there is a priest. And that priest was important for this era. And it pointed again to the priest that we'd have, a high priest we'd have in Jesus. And that now we're all now priests to the world. And then lastly, the tablets. And what was the tablets? Well, that was the covenant. That was the symbol of the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. It was the law, the Ten Commandments. And these were all symbols of God's provision, his uh, priest, priest, the way he's going to set it up, the way he will deal with man, that it will be through one man that all the sins will be dealt with. It will be through one. There will be a collective unit of sin and transgression, but through one man is how this will actually all be dealt with by a merciful and benevolent God. And that God is, is one that not, doesn't make covenants that he's not planning to keep. He's not a promise breaker. He's a promise keeper. So the covenant is going to go along with you for its season. So that's the idea of that. Uh, verse six. Now, when these things had thus uh, had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first place of the tabernacle, performing the services again. So this is the the priest. A priest is, uh, you know, one that's that's sent in, cleansed and sent in, and it's meant to represent Adam before the fall. Again, looking towards the second Adam, but the Levitical priests would take turns in the holy place. Again, like mentioned before, keeping the lampstands burning and replacing the bread weekly. Now, what would they do when they'd replace the showbread? Do you remember? What would they get to do with that bread? Get to eat it. <laughs> yeah, I, th I thought that was kind of cool. You know, like, like I don't know. I something about that I really thought is cool. Well, God did it, so it's cool, period. All right. But okay, verse seven, but into the second part, the high priest went alone. Once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. This is important. So the second part is this is the holy of holies, the holiest of all. High priests went, uh, would go in on which day? We've, we talked about a couple weeks ago. What day would he go? Day of atonement, right? And this would be the day that he would go in and, and would deal with the sins of the people. Uh, how would this happen? He would be cleansed with water, like completely clean himself, you know, bathe in water. 
complete, you know, get totally clean. And normally the priests had these ornate garbs that represented all these things. But on this day, it was all white. It was pure. It was, it was completely set apart and purified. And so it, they would be cleansed physically with the water. This is important. This is all symbolic. This is why it's really important when you were reading the Old Testament to slow way down. Slow down. Drink it in. When you see a recurring theme, look again. If you see it come up again, go back and look at the first one. Because there's, there's so much crazy, beautiful imagery in all of this. I'm notorious for listening to everything two-point speed plus sometimes. I just need the info, man. That's not what this is. Actually, that's actually really not. There's value to that in the sense of like, yeah, I'm hearing a lot. But really, if we're talking about the word of God, if we want to be really listeners, not just consumers to where if I do all this, then I'll get something out of it as opposed to like, this is me being with God. That's the idea of taking time apart in silence and spending time with the Lord that's not rushed. One of the most difficult things you could possibly do, and I, and I, and I do it, and it's, but it's so hard. I don't do it as much as I wish I did it, is to literally just be still every once in a while and just be like still and just be like, Lord, I'm here. Here's, there's no agenda coming out right now. There's no like, here's my laundry list or here's my prayers that I think cover all my bases. But like, I'm just still, I, you read a word and you meditate on that scripture and you just hang out. You know how hard that is? Because you know what comes to the, your forefront of your mind? Everything. Every single possible thing you could possibly think about. Oh my gosh, I didn't sign up for that. Oh my goodness, I didn't do that. Oh no, I can't believe that I, you know, tripped in fourth grade and someone saw it, you know, or whatever. Everything comes to your mind all at once. And you, you know what? Today is the day I'm scrubbing the walls. Why? You sure didn't care about that when you were watching a movie. It's, it's amazing. But there's something about causing ourselves to sit and be still and wait. So that's a side note, but I think it's important to, to, especially when we're dealing with Old Testament, especially when we're dealing with the Torah, as we're reading through this, this nothing is an accident here. And there's some really beautiful pictures in this. So the priest is cleansed in the water, and then what does he do? Offers up this bull as a blood. So he's cleansed in the water, and he's cleansed by the blood. So the priest says, coming in, cleansed himself through water and through blood. Now, what's the sim symbolism of all that? There's a lot. There's a lot, right? You think of like baptism, right? Regeneration, you know, through the cross, you know, being made new, born again through the blood of Jesus, then being baptized, um, born through water, born through blood, you know, that's, that's actually a symbol too. You know, one before, one before, after. But uh, this, the water's got this cleansing element to it. We're cleansed and then we're purified. Well, actually, it goes the other way around in, as far as salvation. But the blood. So he's being cleansed through the blood. Uh, and then what else? He's going to wear not his normal clothes. This is a different day. He's wearing white clothes because he's going into the Holy of Holies. 
it's terrifying. Because as we said, God is so full of life that any death can't stand in his presence. There's going to be an elimination of that death. And so uh, there's also something else interesting happens. There's two goats that are t- brought in, right? And there's, there's the two different goats, and there's a casting of lots. And one of the goats is, is chosen to be a sacrifice, a part of the sin offering, a concoction of bull and goat blood that's going to be sprinkled onto the altar, under the mercy seat, under the, under the mercy seat as a sprinkle for the people, for the sins, again, the sins of ignorance. We'll talk about that again more in a second. But the other, would you guys know what happens to the other goat? What does the other goat do? He's a what? Scapegoat. Where's the scapegoat go? Out into the wilderness. It's a representation of the sins are gone. Like it's been dealt with. This was a symbol. And, and, and there would be like, there's like tension in a sense on the day of atonement. But there's joy when that scapegoat goes. It's like a representation of everything that's happened. Now, it's important for us, looking at a flawed, in a sense, a symbolic system, a symbolic picture of what would once come to be fully in fruition in Christ. It's important for us to look at this and be even more overjoyed by the fact that our sins, not just done in ignorance, but done on purpose, have been forgiven. Wild. So then he goes in and he'll go and offer the, the blood with the censer and this is the day of atonement. Now, uh, important to note, that these are the sins committed in ignorance. The sins not com- committed in ignorance, there is, there's, there's actually no forgiveness of that, but just a covering. So it's a covering to make it look like it's all good, but it isn't. Like, so it, it, it's a covering in a sense of like where God, you're okay. Like you're able to now be in the presence, but you know what's really going on inside. So we're, we're going to be talking about the, uh, uh, the battle of the conscience. And that's, that's, that's what we kind of finish up with here is the, the conscience is not clear. There's not, our conscience has not cleared us in that sense. So verse eight, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. There was access, but not really. This is not the kind of access we're looking for. This is not the kind of access that, that Adam have, had. This is not the kind of access that we have through Christ. It was a, it was a concession this is basically a concession and a symbol helping us to see how good God really is through it all. Verse 9, it was, so I said a symbol, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. So they're still dealing with there's a lack of purity of conscience. Like you, you can't get away from that. And if you know that feeling where you have a guilty conscience, the, the, the only thing you want is to get rid of that feeling. And people do really crazy, horrible things because of having a guilty conscience and trying to somehow 
silence it. So this is an important note. Like that this is not gonna do suffice for any of those things. There was still a longing and a yearning for what was to come. Because although this, there was a covering of the sins in the sense that now God could be in the camp and he could fight for his people and he could do all these really cool things. And if they choose to honor him, he's going to bless them and all these things. There's still this underlying issue of, but our heart feels like crap. <laughs> Sorry if that's, you know, it's not, that's not offensive, right? Okay. Um, So it was, it was symbolic, it was pointing. Sin, so the sins of ignorance, they were dealt with, but the sins done in full knowledge, no, they were, they were covered, but their conscience was not cleansed. Again, they needed a new heart. And, and if we go back to Hebrews chapter eight, which we talked about two weeks ago, 10 through 12, which is a quote from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, says, for this is the covenant that I will make in the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. The whole thing is gone. It's not just the sins done in ignorance. The whole thing is done. This is the good news that's been prophesied by Jeremiah that was also spoken by Ezekiel. That this will be the day. There will be the day where you'll be cleansed from the inside out. What good news this is. Amazing news. That your heart now will be transformed and changed. Your mind will be changed. I will remember their lawless deeds no more. Maybe we need to receive that, right, this morning. Because there's, it's funny. Like, we understand, how often we understand things theologically, but we don't understand them practically. And that's a real disconnect, I think, from the, from the mind that's to be transformed and the heart that's to be transformed. Whatever is said, we've got to believe, right? And so we can even use that, the, the same response as like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> I believe this to be true. Help me to believe it to be true, like for real, for real. Like I know your word is true. I'm just having a hard time understanding this one. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So we know that really it is, it is done. The sins are gone. They're from the east to the west. They're, 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 it's not just a scapegoat. It's, it's like it's, they're just gone. They're not remembered. That's so wild. I will remember no more. I will not hold it against you. We hold ourselves a lot, right? Especially like I'm so grateful for, my, for the Lord saving me from my past. But there's a way that, it, that people can remind you and you can remind you. And you go, yeah, I'm totally saved from those things, but I still am, I still kind of got to pay for those things like that, you know? And we know there's, there's an element of reaping what we sow and, and we receive that, and I guess, right? Like that's, you know, you, you sow into something long enough, there's a natural result of fruit of that. But the idea of 
punishing ourselves to make ourselves feel more holy before God is completely insane and counterproductive. He says it's good, believe him. Let's trust him. Because you know what? The, the effort that we put into thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I gotta try and, I, I don't feel like I'm fully forgiven of that. I don't think I deserve that full forgiveness of that. You think that makes you like more um, pure or more like, or you know, more noble or something, but it actually just makes us a lot worse people because we're supposed to be people of grace. And the only way to really live this out is to be people of grace. We can produce what looks like Christians. Like I, all of us know how to act like we're Christian. We can do that. Is anybody in here really good at like doing accents of somewhere you're not from? You don't have to raise your hand because we'll make you do it. I am. I, I'm decent at certain things, at, at accents, right? But, and so I, I would be able to fake it to a certain extent, okay? Like I, I sometimes like to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll make, I like, you know what? I'm gonna admit this at, you know, over 40 that I make prank calls sometimes to my friends just because it's so fun. And I have all these different persons I can do or whatever. And I like doing it. I think it's really fun and they think it's funny and whatever, okay? They all pretty much know at this point. So uh, if you get a weird phone call from someone uh, who's uh, inquiring about something I saw on Craigslist, uh, you know, or something like that, then that's me uh, probably. Or it's someone from Craigslist. Either call the cops or call me. Um, but you know what's interesting about doing that? You can, you can deceive people for a certain amount of time, but it is always, especially the voicemails, they can go on and on forever because they like repeating things and whatever. As soon as it's done, there's an exhale and you're no longer talking like that. <sighs> Man, I'm glad I'm done. <laughs> I'm glad I'm done doing that for now. Why? Because it's, a, it's an act. It's a facade, and we're all looking to get to that point of the day. You wear a wonderful suit. You go out. You look one. As soon as you get home, that thing is gone. It's like, ugh. and like normally I dress comfortably. I'm going straight sweats now. Like I mean, hopefully you know with the elastic all worn out. Every I mean I'm just like relaxed, you know. I'm not tying it. I'm not, I'm just chilling now. I'm, I, I've done my part and you can look all good. And you're like, all right, did the wedding. Everybody's like, wow, really cool. Really Rico Suave. Okay, now next thing you know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm going completely the opposite direction. Why? Unless that's you and you like dressing up and that, that's very possible. But for someone like me, big surprise that I don't feel at home like that. So I can act like I'm like that. It's a little harder with the beard but I can act like I am like that type of, but only for so long. And there's always an exhale. You know, what's interesting is the exhale usually happens around the people you live with. This is where it gets really tricky. If there's not a real transformation in us, if there's not really something in us where we really believe that, that, Jesus is God, that he really does, did live and die and rise again. And now I am made new in him. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm his workmanship created for good works. I've been redeemed, renewed, restored. I'm a new creation. If that's not really what I am, there's gonna be a huge exhale 
to everyone else around us and they go, it's not real. This is fake. This is phony. Like this is not who you really are. And you're exhausted, or we can, not you, but we can be so exhausted by trying to be something we aren't. This is such a bad look for Christians because we're claiming to have the good news that really does transform lives. And if it doesn't transform lives, then what is it? What kind of a gospel do we give? What can we share? What can we say that's going to give anybody any hope? It is only found in Christ. And it is in the renewal of, being, of our inner man, our hearts from stone to flesh, our minds changed. Is there a process? Is it, is it, does it all happen at once? Yes and no. <laughs> it all starts at once. It's like a big jump start, but then now, now it's working the thing out. We used to have a three-wheeler ATC death trap, you know, those three-wheelers. Oh, they're so fun, but so I, we flip, I flipped it in a dry lake bed when I was a kid and stuff. You know, it's just like, that's what those things do. But it, it was hard to start it, you know, and, uh, you know, it was a pull start, just take forever. And my, my dad would be like, hey, let's drive, the, let's drive the truck and bump start it, like pull start it, like where it's like, you know, drop it into gear and it starts. And you're like, okay, here we go. Boom, all right, yeah, we're all set. We're charging it here, you know? And so it's like, that's the start, the engine starts, and now you have the process of working with it to go move on from there. And you go, well, now I'm driving it. <laughs> Now it's going. Well, there's like a process of where to keep that thing moving in the right direction. It's like we're going to, there's, there's a throttle. There's gears. There's all this and that. Now, this is probably a bad example in the sense of God, that's like removed from the truck. God is the one that continues to work with us through all the process. Like he's redeeming us through it all. You know, he's uh, finishing the work he started in us. But there's a part to where, yeah, it starts and yeah, it's still worked out. But do you know how it's worked out? Best in grace. It's done best in grace. So the good, the bad, the ugly, it's like everybody's getting to see the occasional blow it or the occasional, hey, can I be really honest with you? I don't like wearing a suit. So if I'm wearing it, it's because I really like you. You know, like I'm you know, or whatever, or it's a really important thing, you know, or whatever, however that looks. But it's because of what's really been happening inside of us. And so there's no disconnect from what we are outside to what we are inside. It's the same person working it out, still dealing with a sinful nature, but as a new creation in Christ, the flesh and the spirit. So verse 10 says this, Concerned, uh, this is concerned with only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly, fleshly ordinances. This is talking about the old covenant imposed until the time of reformation. This isn't the Protestant reformation. This is the reformation of the covenant. It's the new covenant. It's the culmination of what has been longed for. The restrictions of the Holy, Holy, Holy of Holies reminds us of how good we really have it now. And I'm going to read this and we'll close. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus 
the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Remember, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This awesome high priest that's so much greater than, the, than, than Aaron, than, than Levi's tribe, under the order of Melchizedek, but greater than Melchizedek. That's the high priest we have. And with the high priest comes a new covenant. And so understanding the priest helps us understand the covenant. Understanding the covenant helps us understand the priest. Beautiful, rich stuff. Go back and read it again if you want. I mean, like spend some time here. And I was saying to Tori, I was like, it's a lot of like, High priest for like weeks. And, it's high, and then it's, old, it's new covenant for like weeks. And she's like, yeah, that's because it's really important. Exactly. Why is there so much stuff on it? Because it's really, really important. And so if we're going to try and rush, let's do all the new covenant. Let's try and do it all in one week. We'll be reading like 80 verses or whatever. And it's like, that's not, we're supposed to spend weeks on this. We're supposed to spend time on this because this is the crux of what makes us different. This is how dead men come to life. And this is the gospel that we preach. And this is what the dying world is looking for. Something with life. Something with hope. Some form of light at the end of a very dark tunnel. And it's Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.